Hey, this is Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off this week, so please enjoy this encore presentation from November 17th. Some critics are saying that America's inflation problems are President Biden's fault, but he has the only issue with that argument. Almost every country in the world is dealing with this issue, which means President Biden is actually screwing up the entire world. There you go. Nailed it. Actually, that's not the only problem with the inflation argument. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. But we'll get to that. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, it's the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK's 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, the Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and your favorite podcast site, whatever that may be, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast in which we hope to make you moderately more informed before the hour is over. How is that? <laughs> moderately? I believe that that is something we can succeed at. I am setting the bar as low as possible, <laughs> as usual. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining us. Good day, Desiree Doyen. Good day to you. Uh, let me start here. The Arizona man known as the QAnon shaman will serve 41 months, that is more than three years, in prison after storming the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. That, according to a federal judge on Wednesday, in handing down the sentence for Jacob Chensley, U.S. District Court Judge Royce Lamberth said, quote, what you did was horrific, obstructing the functioning of the government. What you did was terrible. You made yourself the epitome of the riot. I'm sure uh, I'm sure everyone remembers the uh, 34-year-old Chansley who sort of became the face of the January 6th Trump incited attempt to steal the 2020 election uh, when he showed up in the Senate chamber without a shirt, with face paint, wearing a furry headdress with horns, carrying a bullhorn and a U.S. flag at the end of a spear. He spoke uh, at length, Chansley did, in the court before his sentencing on Wednesday, saying, quote, I admit to the world I was wrong. I have no excuses. My behavior was indefensible. 
But he was adamant that he is not a dangerous criminal. He said, I am not a violent man or a white supremacist. I am truly repentant. He said he suffers from a personality disorder and is on the autism spectrum. Federal prosecutors had asked that Chansley, Chansley receive 51 months, followed by three years of supervised release. That after pleading guilty back in September to a single count of felony obstruction of an official proceeding. The judge instead gave him 41 months, uh, along with those three years of supervised release thereafter, and ordered him to pay $2,000 in restitution. During the sentencing hearing, uh, the prosecutor, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kim Paschal, said that in the months leading up to the attack, Chansley, quote, posted vitriolic messages on social media, encouraging his thousands of followers to expose corrupt politicians, to ID the traitors in the government, to halt their agenda, to stop the steal and end the deep state. None of which, I should note, at least to my knowledge, is actually unlawful even if breaking into the Capitol was. The prosecutor said that was a call to battle. Defense lawyer Albert Watkins said during the hearing that Chansley's bizarre appearance and behavior on January 6th were indicators of mental health problems. Quote, he was not an organizer. He was not a planner. He was not violent. He was not destructive. He was not a thief. Chansley was among the initial throng to enter the building uh, in that attempted insurrection on January 6th. And once there, he used a bullhorn to, quote, rile up the crowd and demand that lawmakers be brought out, according to the sentencing memo. In the Senate gallery, Chansley shouted obscenities, scaled the chamber's dais. There he photographed himself. He refused to leave when law enforcement ordered him to do so, and he left a note, in theory, for Vice President Mike Pence that read, quote, it's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. Which sounds like a threat to me. Prosecutors added that Chansley, who promoted the far-right QAnon conspiracy theory, used social media to spread, quote, false information and hateful rhetoric that inflamed the riot. Maybe, but using social media to spread false information or even hateful rhetoric, as long as it's not threatening, is not actually unlawful. Nearly three and a half years in prison for someone who pleaded guilty and didn't actually cause violence himself, per se. Well, we can debate if that's too long for someone like Chansley to be sent away. I actually appreciate the arguments on both sides here. In fact, uh, he was arguably the face of this thing due to his dramatic costume and makeup. And I appreciate the prosecutors and the judge here are hoping to make an example of him. But as his attorney said, he was not an organizer or a planner for any of this. He's one of more than 650 people to have been charged in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol so far. Uh, as far as I know, he was not one of those who was, you know, beating up cops that we've seen, you know, so much footage of. But, you know, if I stood on a soapbox on a corner, if we still had soapboxes, <laughs> and told people to go rob a bank... Or even if I said, hey, you people should go over to that bank and fight like hell to rob it. And if they did it, well, they should be charged for trying to rob that bank, even if they weren't successful. 
But shouldn't I be charged for directing them to do so? In fact, wouldn't I be charged for directing and encouraging them to do so? So, yeah, you know, I know many folks are probably happy to see the QAnon shaman receive a really long prison sentence today. Uh, but to me, it seems like a really long sentence for what he actually specifically did, at least in comparison to the zero sentence to date, the zero indictments or charges to date, that the guy guys standing on that soapbox telling them to go rob that bank to fight like hell to do so, as Trump said, or to hold a trial by combat, as Rudy Giuliani said on that same morning, none of those guys are facing any music so far for anything at all that they did. You know, maybe it's because they did not wear face paint and furry horns while doing it. So, yeah, I am still asking, where are you, Merrick Garland? Celebrate all you like the fact that they got the QAnon shaman and sent him away for three and a half years. But, uh, you know, where are you, Merrick Garland? Someone told that man to go and do what he did. By the way, feel free to drop me an email, bradcast at bradblog.com. If, if you have thoughts on this, if you think I'm wrong for even questioning Chansley's three-year uh, three plus sentence, I know it's talk radio. I know you're supposed to have a strong, unshakable opinion about absolutely everything. No nuance in talk radio. But, yeah, we don't roll that way around here. We deal in reality, and I'm hoping to inform, not convince or brainwash. I will leave that to many of the others in this industry. Desi Doyen, you have any thoughts on this, nuanced or otherwise? I do, you know, because he does seem like somebody who has some mental health issues. Yeah. So when I heard that he had that long of a sentence, I was like, oh, really? Yeah. That seems excessive. Are the other? Is it in proportion to what other people who were insurrectionists, who were violent, who were thieves— mm-hmm. um, are they getting as much of a sentence yeah. as this guy did? That's a good question, and I I don't think that many of them are. I hope and it is proportional. It needs to be proportional, yeah. in my opinion. And I actually, I don't think it is because he was the face of it with the horns and the yeah. and the face paint. Um, I'm but, not a fan of making an example of people unless you make examples of all of the people in proportion to what they actually did. And as I said, the only people that I wish to make an example of are the people who actually led this thing, who yes. actually created this thing, who actually told these people to march down to the Capitol and fight like hell. The organizers and the co-conspirators who plotted to overthrow the government. Right. And you know what? I'd even give up all of them if Donald Trump himself, who was behind this scheme to try and steal the 2020 election, was actually held accountable for it. Maybe he will be. But I guess it's going to require us to keep uh, making noise about it. In a uh, similar, uh, along somewhat similar lines, there is this late on Wednesday. The House voted on Wednesday to censure Republican uh, Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona for posting an animated video that depicted him killing Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with a sword and threatening or... Uh, about to kill Joe Biden as well in this video. The censure, according to AP, is an extraordinary rebuke that highlighted the political strains testing Washington and the country. 
Yes, we are being tested right now, uh, calling the video a clear threat to lawmakers' lives. Democrats argued Gosar's conduct would not be tolerated in any other workplace and that he shouldn't be in Congress, which is true. Any other workplace, uh, he would be at the very least reprimanded and more likely fired. The vote to censure Gosar also strips him of his committee assignments it was approved by a vote of 223 to 207, almost entirely along party lines. Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called the vote an abuse of power by Democrats. He said of the censure, quote, it sets a new standard that will continue to be applied in the future. Democrats uh, said there was nothing political about it. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said these actions demand a response. We cannot have members joking about murdering each other. Ocasio-Cortez herself said in an emotional speech that our work here matters, our example matters, there is meaning to our service. And as leaders in this country, when we incite violence with depictions against our colleagues, that trickles down to violence in this country, and that is where we must draw the line. Gosar rejected what he called the mischaracterization of the cartoon. The mischaracterization that it was dangerous or threatening. He says, I do not espouse violence toward anyone. It was not my purpose to make anyone upset. But of course, he did not bother to take it down, even after people clearly were upset. And uh, since Nancy Pelosi gave the GOP caucus in the House the opportunity to reprimand Gosar themselves first... And then they declined. Then and only then did she uh, take action, because I guess murder videos are just fine by Republicans at this point. Uh, Speakers, uh, well, Republicans, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, they voted with all of the Democrats for the censure resolution. Kinzinger, who sits with Cheney as the only two Republicans on the House Select Committee investigating January 6, tweeted out, quote, We have to hold members accountable who incite or glorify violence, who spread and perpetuate dangerous conspiracies. The failure to do so will take us one step closer to this fantasized violence becoming real. I think he's right. This is uh, the first time in 10 years that a sitting House member has been uh, censured. It's the second time this year in the House that Democrats have initiated the removal of a GOP lawmaker from an assigned from their assigned uh, committees. The first being Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. She was not censured, but she was like Gosar removed from her uh, from her committee assignments. And by the way, and that was also thanks to uh, support for uh, violence against Democrats and incendiary comments that happened before. In her case, it was before she was elected to office, including liking a post about shooting Nancy Pelosi in the head. GOP leaders urged their members to vote against the resolution, censuring Gosar, warning that the effort sets a precedent that could come back to haunt Democrats if they find themselves in the minority in the future. And not that I expect Democrats to make violent, murderous threats against Republicans (laughs) and not apologize for them, even if they ever did. But still more nuance. I concur that Gosar should be censored, but I do have great concerns about where this all goes from here and getting into the habit of the majority party simply removing members of the other party from committees as payback. 
I, I don't you know think that Democrats should not do what they did, but I do have concerns about what happens the next time Republicans are in power. They do not need to wait for a murderous threat. They will make up something. You know, whatever they need to do to pretend to be outraged about taking powers away from Democrats, especially since I suspect there uh, there may need to be more such actions by Democrats against Republicans as they become increasingly hostile as they escalate. Yep. Which they keep doing. Yep. Uh, anyway, there again, some nuance there again. I know nuance and talk radio not allowed. <laughs> We're breaking the rules, I guess. Oh, well. And if you think that nuance is insane, just wait until I'm joined momentarily by today's guest to explain the nuance of inflation and why, despite panicked and actually completely misleading reports from the corporate media about it, it may not nearly be as bad, not anywhere near as bad as those panicked reports suggest. And, in fact, for many people, many working people, inflation may actually be a good, not a bad thing. The Intercept's John Schwartz will be here momentarily to explain. Uh, Democrats, of course, are scared to death by rising prices at, among other places, the gas pump and the effect that that is seemingly having right now on Joe Biden's approval ratings, as if presidents can control gas prices, which is a common complaint, by the way, when Democrats are in office, but one that the corporate media seem to play along with, play along with those Republicans about when Democrats are in office and then forget about when there's a Republican God, in office. So they do it every time. Yeah. So real or imagined, President Biden is hoping to at least be seen as taking action to bring prices down at the pump. He is asking the Federal Trade Commission today to consider whether there has been, quote, illegal conduct by the large oil and gas companies to push up gasoline prices for American consumers. The FTC now has someone in charge who is an antitrust champion who has been appointed by Biden at the FTC. Uh, she says she will look into this, especially since, as Biden noted, the costs of refined fuels fuel has actually fallen and industry profits have gone way up, even though the gas prices continue to rise thereafter for some reason. The two largest players in the industry, ExxonMobil and Chevron, according to Biden's letter, have doubled their net income since 2019. So why are the prices going up? For whatever reason, the prices going up at the gas pump does lead to inflation and inflation of fears. Now, on Wednesday afternoon, Biden flew to Detroit to visit a GM factory that manufactures electric vehicles. I know the oil company is not crazy about that idea. But even if inflation fears for no good reason at all, frankly, are now being used, at least by Republicans and Democrat Joe Manchin, to hold up and perhaps jeopardize the large $1.75 trillion social spending and climate change package known as the Build Back Better Act. You know, the landmark measure that if it can ever get passed, passed will actually help working class Americans by expanding access to health care and education, child care, elder care, etc., and much more, including real action on climate change that the fossil fuel industry definitely does not care for in the least. There are a lot of forces aligned against the most transformational social spending package 
since LBJ's Great Society or since FDR's New Deal. So it is little wonder that the corporate media now appears to be ready to join forces with Republicans and the fossil fuel industry and Joe Manchin to try to kill that bill by vastly misreporting on inflation, freaking out America about it and about the effect that it should or shouldn't have on the Build Back Better bill. That story, yes, all of that nuance, is next on the broadcast. John Schwartz is here to explain it all for us. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/donate. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Yes. Truth, please. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The American corporate media has a very difficult time with a truth, at least a very difficult time with nuance. Uh, As Laura Clausen observes today at Daily Coast, two things can be true at the same time. Yes, inflation is real, but yes, the media are hyping it and ignoring better economic news. My guest joining me momentarily would likely argue that even more than just two things at a time can be true, particularly when it comes to inflation. But sticking with Claussen's case for just the moment, she notes that retail sales rose in October for a third month in a row. October also saw very strong jobs growth, and Goldman Sachs is predicting a significant drop in the already low unemployment rate over the next year. In fact, I should add, employment is already almost as low as it was prior to the pandemic and pushing toward record all-time lows. Most families with children are now getting expanded child tax credit checks every month, and that will continue for at least several more years if President Biden's Build Back Better Act is finally signed into law. Average food stamp benefits increased by more than 25 percent thanks to the Biden administration. And yet, Clausen notes the economic headlines are overwhelmingly focused on inflation. That, in turn, has helped to drive down Joe Biden's approval ratings in recent weeks. To be clear, Clausen concedes inflation is real 6.2 percent in October. But despite that, as University of Massachusetts economist Aaron Dragit Dubé told The Washington Post, quote, it is safe to say the bottom 40 percent of Americans are definitely better off in the past year from a combination of rising wages and government aid, even with inflation. Now, that startling inflation rate I mentioned there reported for October 6.2 percent, which freaked out pretty much everyone in the media last week. Well, stick a pin in that number for a moment. That should be easy because, wow, that's a very big and scary number. 6.2 percent prices increased in October. Well, at least as the media have been telling us for the past week, even while ignoring much better economic numbers, including hundreds of thousands of new jobs added in recent weeks, even as the unemployment rate continues to go down, 
That should be good news, no? Julia Coronado, president and founder of Macro Policy Perspectives, told The Washington Post that disposable income has been about 9.5 percent higher in 2021 than it was before the coronavirus pandemic, even if you factor in inflation. Well, that would seem to be good news. But the statistics don't matter if what people are feeling is higher prices at the gas station or the grocery store. And I would add, in particular, if both the media and at least one key senator in Congress continue to obsess about those rising prices. The problem, Clausen argues, is that the media has a little something to say about what facts in their lives people feel are the most relevant, and the media has taken wildly different approaches to good economic news versus bad economic news. Our friend and media critic Eric Bollert wrote at his press run newsletter this week that when the U.S. jobs report was was released for the month of October showing a surging economy adding 531,000 jobs, as well as revised estimates for September and August confirming that an additional 235,000 positions were created, NBC Nightly News did not cover the economic announcement at all. ABC World News Tonight buried the story, devoting just two sentences to it and running the story seventh in the lineup that night. Contrast that, Bullard writes, to last Wednesday when news broke that inflation had jumped 6.2% last month, fueling concerns about spiraling consumer costs. That evening, both NBC and ABC slotted the inflation story as the second most important development of that day's news cycle. The misleading reporting is exacerbated either purposely or because he doesn't know any better by folks like West Virginia's uh, Democratic U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, who has been using inflation fears to call for a pause on Joe Biden's proposed now one point seven five trillion social spending and climate uh, uh, action reconciliation bill. Tweeting, for example, last week after the startling news about October's terrifying 6.2 percent inflation rate. You still have a pin in that number, right? Manchin tweeted, quote, by all accounts, the threat posed by record inflation to the American people is not transitory and is instead getting worse. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans know the inflation tax is real and D.C. can no longer ignore the economic pain that Americans feel every day. But that's not what actual economic experts say. A new report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showing that prices rose in October and are hovering at a notable high point has triggered a bit of a democratic panic over the fate of the reconciliation bill, writes Kate Riga at Talking Points Memo. While those two things may seem unrelated, Spoiler alert, she writes, they are. One man binds them together. That would be Senator Joe Manchin. Democrats speculated in public and in private that the West Virginia senator will use the inflation levels as an excuse to slow down or kill the reconciliation package, also known as Build Back Better. He has cited inflation fears before when detailing his objections to a bigger $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, successfully forcing Democrats down to the current proposal for a $1.75 trillion expansion of health care, education, child care, elder care, and climate change action, even though experts say that the bill 
fully paid for with increases on taxes to corporations and the wealthy will, in fact, not cause inflation. The claim has zero merit, says Josh Bevins, research director at the left-leaning Economic Policy Institute. Whether or not Build Back Better passes will not move the inflation rate up or down over the next year. Bevins pointed to the fact that the package is not deficit spending, but entirely or almost entirely financed by taxes. It's also simply not a stimulus package meant to inject a ton of money into the economy all at once, but rather it is spending out over 10 years. Partisans flinging but inflation at bills that they do not like is not exactly a new tactic. Inflation is always the boogeyman people try to throw against expansionary policy in general, said EPI's Josh Bivens. It's proving more effective this time because the inflation rate has actually increased for nuanced reasons. The Federal Reserve, however, can bring down inflation by raising interest rates. But of course... That would be likely to spark a recession, which John Horn, economics professor at St. Louis's esteemed Washington University Olin Business School, uh, says would be a, quote, pretty dangerous move for an economy that still has not fully recovered from the pandemic. Ultimately, Riga reports today Democrats have two inflation problems on their hands, a real one and an imaginary one. The real one concerns the current inflationary spike that experts are still trying to game out in terms of cause and longevity. And then there's the imaginary one, where Senator Joe Manchin uses inflation as a pretext to slow down or kill the reconciliation bill, despite broad expert consensus that the package will not actually increase the inflation rate. The White House and Democratic congressional leadership have now launched messaging campaigns arguing that not only will the reconciliation bill not worsen inflation, but it'll actually help long term by expanding the economy's capacity. It's a false linkage that Republicans are making, says Illinois Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth about the attempts to paint reconciliation as an inflationary threat. If anything, she says, passing the bill is going to help us fight inflation by getting people back into the workplace. We would be wise not to be dismissive of a problem that people are experiencing, says Hawaii's Democratic Senator Brian Schatz, but we would be idiots to not pass legislation that would actually ease the supply chain, build a stronger labor market, and alleviate the problem itself. But Republicans are going to Republican, and Joe Manchin is going to Joe Manchin along with them. But does the media have to play along with it? They sure seem to like doing so, as The Intercept's John Schwartz reported just last week. The top story on the New York Times website this morning, he wrote, is about inflation, and it is scary. Quote, inflation spiked in October, sinking Washington's hopes that price gains would slow down. The Washington Post, he observed, led with a similar call for alarm. Quote, prices climbed 6.2 percent in October compared to last year. The largest increase in 30 years as inflation strains the economy, said the Post. Television, he writes, which follows the lead of the Times and the Post as surely as death follows life. 
We'll now produce many more peculiar segments like CNN's botched portrayal of the impact of inflation on a large Texas family that apparently buys huge quantities, some 12 gallons of milk a week for some reason, according to the somewhat questionable reporting from CNN. And sure enough, the broadcast media did go nuts with those alarming numbers as, yes, misreported by The Times, The Post and others. The government just released brand new numbers on inflation from October. They're big. America's prices surging more than they have in 30 years, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. We're paying more for energy. We're paying more to heat our homes. We're paying more for our housing. When we go to the grocery store, we're paying more for beef and for eggs, for food. The president taking a harder line, saying in a statement, quote, inflation hurts Americans' pocketbooks, and reversing this trend is a top priority for me. Scary, scary. But whenever the corporate media moves en masse like this, John Schwartz sagely advises at The Intercept, it's a good idea to slow down and consider what's actually happening and why. A panic about inflation usefully creates the conditions to weaken the power of, wait for it, working people. Joining us now is John Schwartz, longtime journalist at The Intercept, which he joined after working for Michael Moore's Doggy Dog Films, where he served as a research producer for Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. John has also written for The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, Slate, NPR, and yes, even Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live back in the day. Oh, Mr. Schwartz, it has been a while, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Well, it's great to be talking to you again. Good for you to be here, John. Uh, yes, inflation is real. Even as the economy is pretty much, by all accounts, firing on all pistons, it's getting much better on pretty much every trackable point, particularly for working people, even as folks like Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and his Republican friends are using the corporate media's uh, panicked, overinflated reports on inflation to argue the government should stop spending anything to help make people's lives better with the uh, Build Back Better plan. But you are going one step further at The Intercept to argue that actually, as your headline reads, inflation is good for you. An idea, by the way, which almost none of those other reports uh, that I was citing at The Times, the AP, etc., none of them uh, seem to have mentioned. But before you make the case for that argument, John, I just want to hit this record-shattering, apparently game-changing 6.2% inflation for the month of October that the New York Times and Washington Post and AP and PR, pretty much all the rest of the corporate media, terrified the nation with last week. John Schwartz, did prices increase by a stunning, terrifying 6.2% in October? Everyone says so, after all, as based on new numbers from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics for October. Yes, well, thanks for bringing that up. You know, the most important thing people need to understand about the new inflation numbers is that it's not that prices went up 6.2% in October. Because that, that would be a lot. And I, I would personally say, like, that would be something that people should be concerned about. The measurements found that prices from last October to mm -hmm. this October are 6.2% higher. 
so. Not 6.2% in a month, but 6.2% in a year. In a month, they went up, I think, a little bit less than 1%. But, John, that was the story. Prices went up 6.2% in October, as if it's a huge number. Everyone should panic. We should call off any plans for any bills whatsoever in Washington, D.C. We should go into our storm shelters and hide until this, uh, in, until this hell is over. But, in fact, you note that it didn't go up 6.2% in one single month and actually went up last month 0.9%? That's right. So 0.9%, that means if something cost $10 in September, you know, on average in October it cost $10.09. Well, that is terrifying. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with myself now. So, in fact, since last year, since October, that's what the 6.2% is, and that would only happen, if I understand this, if, in fact, every month, month over month, for the next year, we went up uh, uh, 0.9%? That, that's actually, then, then you get into the magic of uh, compounding interest. Mm-hmm. Th- that, you know, if it did go up uh, 0.9% every month for the next year, mm-hmm. uh, that would be a pretty high inflation rate mm-hmm. if it just continued the, the rate in October. That would probably be over 10%. But it is over the past year, it's been 6.2%. And that's, that's the important thing to keep in mind because uh, inflation numbers, uh, they, they bounce around a lot. Mm-hmm. They are often uh, you know, things that like go up a lot in mm-hmm. one month and then go down significantly, or at least they're, they're much lower the next month. Mm-hmm. But so the thing to keep in mind is just that not 6.2% in October, like like a gotcha. much more modest amount in October that is, uh, you know, in the long term, you wouldn't want to see it happening every single month. Right. But, uh, the thing that I, the point that I'm trying to make in this article, it's a mm-hmm. little bit of a trolley headline to say that inflation is good for you. But the point is that inflation often goes hand in hand with things that actually are good for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, rising wages in real terms, uh, also a reduction in the real value of debt that people have, like mortgage debt, student mm-hmm. debt, stuff like that, which uh, I, can, I can explain yeah, more in detail. Yeah, I want to get to the, to the details on that, but you know, since you meant rising, uh, mentioned rising wages, if that same 10%, uh, I'm sorry, $10 that something cost in September now costs $10.09, well, that same thing last October that cost $10 now cost $10.62. That's not that huge a rise, but it is a rise, you know, for people and added up. That's going to come out to, uh, you know, quite a bit of money. But you note that as the prices has increased 6.2 percent over the past year, not the past month, but the past year, that wages for working people actually went up 5.8 percent, almost as much as that 6.2 percent increase in inflation. Yeah, that's right. It's 5.8 percent, I believe. And. Uh, it's also important to keep in mind that that's, that's an average mm-hmm. and that wages have been going up faster. This is very unusual mm-hmm. in the United States of America, as I'm sure most people know. They've been going up faster uh, sort of at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So if you're making less money, uh, people there in more poorly paid jobs have actually been getting bigger raises than people making more. So you argue that inflation generally accompanies economic booms, that in and of itself inflation is not a bad sign because it's a sign that the economy is, is beginning to do well. I, do I understand that correctly? Uh, you know, I wouldn't put it quite that strongly. Like, what I would say is this, is that when, when we talk about a great economy, mm-hmm. when we talk about a boom, 
that is a perspective that is not shared by everyone in America. Like, it's, it's really a very serious mistake mm-hmm. to think that people with lots of money and power like economic booms. They actually don't. They don't because in economic booms, uh, workers, particularly people making less money, have more power mm-hmm. uh, because inflation rates may be going up, but unemployment is very low. And so, like, if you're being treated badly, if you're being paid badly, if you're just being, you know, being screwed over by the boss at work, mm-hmm. in general, it doesn't have to be money, uh, there's another job across the street. Mm-hmm. And you just go and get that job. Like, they're desperate for workers, as, as is the case with many businesses right now. That's, that's good for regular working people. It makes your lives much easier, much better. Uh, but it is bad for the people who own the businesses. They do not like it. And they do not like economic booms, and they look for any excuse to clamp down on them. And fear-mongering about inflation is the favorite excuse. Mm-hmm. And what they say is, like, well, this is so incredibly awful and so destructive. You know, we've got to slow down the economy. That's, that's what this is all about, is what they're really arguing for is a raising interest rates, like having the Fed raise interest rates, which slows down the economy, which throws people out of work. And then they'll get back to the world that they are much more comfortable in. Mm. Like, really, for 40 years uh, since Reagan's election, Mm -hmm. we have been living in a sort of low-wage, high-unemployment equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And they would like to go back to that. They don't like the the high-wage, low-unemployment equilibrium. Because workers' bargaining leverage actually goes up in, uh, in a good economy they have the right to go find another job uh, or so forth, right? You note, and this is sort of the heart of your uh, trolley headline, John Schwartz, that the uh, the median American recently had about $65,000 in debt. And while inflation has reduced the real value of each dollar of wages, in other words, it's worth uh, it's worth relative to tangible things. It has also done the same thing to the real value of each dollar of debt. So if I am understanding this correctly, you are arguing that while workers wages are increasing, the value of the debt that they currently hold, that becomes lower, essentially, as inflation rises because the amount of debt owed does not increase even as the value of the dollar actually falls. Am I explaining that correctly? Yeah, I mean, the way I would say it is, you know, let's say you're making Mm $50,000 and you have $10,000 in credit card debt. Or Mm -hmm. not, credit card debt is probably a bad example. I would say student debt. Okay. So the economy is booming. You're able to get your boss to give you a raise. Mm -hmm. And so now you're making uh, $52,500. You get a 5% raise, right? Mm -hmm. But your amount of debt stays the same. It stays the same number, Mm $10,000 your student debt. And what that means is you have more dollars to pay off the same amount of debt. Mm-hmm. And so the actual value to you of the debt, the burden of the debt, mm-hmm. has fallen. And that's something that regular people do not pay attention to. Yep. Uh, it's, it's just something that is never discussed. It's important for them, but it's, it's a sort of hard thing to wrap your mind around. Right. But I will tell you who does not not notice that. <laughs> right. I will tell you who, who does not like, like dismiss this and not think about it, mm-hmm. is the people who own the debt, yep. the people who lent out the money in the first place. And the amount of household debt in the United States is a gigantic number. You know, it's really difficult to comprehend. It's like $14.5 trillion, right? Mm-hmm. So that is mortgages, it's credit card debt, mm-hmm. it is 
student debt. It's a whole bunch of things. Uh, most of it is, is mortgage debt. And when there is inflation of this kind, like like 6.2%, that is around $850 billion worth of that debt falling in value. And that is a transfer of wealth from mm-hmm. creditors, the people who loaned out the money, to borrowers. And uh, the creditors, of course, uh-huh. tend to be way, 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 way up at the top of American society. They are the richest people in America. And they are, as I say, uh, losing a lot of money. It's not for various complicated reasons. It's not mm-hmm. the whole $850 billion, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a lot of money. And they don't like that. As like People with tons of money do not enjoy losing enormous amounts of it. And uh, it's interesting, a, a, an economist from the Federal Reserve was, was just talking about this. I was listening to her in an interview, and mm-hmm. she was saying, you know, inflation is the absolute worst for people who've loaned out of a lot of money. And this is something that is never discussed because it is a very, like, clear sort of class issue. Yeah. And it makes you realize that just as a great economy for regular people is not so great at the people at the top, uh-huh. it makes you think about what inflation actually does and who it affects the most. Yeah. And I, I should say, like, I don't... Let me just say this quickly, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. I'll be curious what you think. I mean, I don't want to dismiss the fact that inflation can be real trouble mm-hmm. for some people. But there are not that many people on a fixed income in the United States anymore. You know, inflation mm-hmm. uh, is bad if you're on a fixed income, mm-hmm. but people usually think of that as retirees. You know, you're over 65, and you're largely existing on Social Security. Well, the good thing about Social Security, the reason why it's so incredibly valuable and uh, a, a huge boon to regular people, is that Social Security is not fixed. It is inflation-adjusted, mm-hmm. and it is set up to go, uh, it's going to increase, I think, 5.9% in mm-hmm. January. So anyway, yeah. I don't want to, perf- anybody listening who really is being hurt by inflation, I'm, I'm not dismissing that, but I think it's a, there's a much, much bigger issue that's right in front of us. Than well, talking about. that's the thing, and that's what uh, kind of drives me uh, nuts here, is because, you know, the media is talking about, oh, we're, you know, we're paying uh, more for a gallon of milk, uh, you know, certainly more at the gas pump, that this is going to affect uh, regular Americans, and it does. But in truth, it seems like a lot of this is fed by the big corporations and the banks, the the lenders, the creditors here. They're the ones actually taking a huge hit when it comes to inflation, which seems to me, well, I'll put the question to you. Does this explain why the media, the corporate media, part of the wealthy power structure in this nation, seems to freak out about inflation more than they seem to freak out about anything else economy wise and more than they seem to, you know, celebrate when there are, uh, you know, really good and booming economic numbers? Uh, I, I would never say that everything is explained by money, but I would say that 95% of everything is explained <laughs> okay. by money. And so, yes, I think the answer to your question is yes. This is why they are freaking out about it. And it, it's just it's a perfect opportunity for them to, as I say, slow down the economy, throw yeah. people out of work, get things back to the way it used to be where they held all the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also want to kill the Build Back Better bill. Mm-hmm. It's a glorious chance to do that too yep. and so you put those two things together and uh, you know of course they're going crazy about this i saw a very good question i thought from someone on twitter and i'm i'm sorry i didn't get who it was at the time i think it might have been in response to your article at the intercept john schwartz uh and i love your response to it the the twitter comment was uh quote what about 
the nonsense about milk and gas prices when college and health care prices have been inflating for decades and wages have not even come close to keeping up over that period. Why no need to talk about more expensive items like health care and education? And it is true. Those, those prices have been going up, have been inflating for years and years, and we pretty much never see any similar panicked headlines in the media about any of it. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Because you know, inflation in healthcare costs—that uh, means we're all paying more mm-hmm. for healthcare, and uh, that money is going somewhere. It's it's going to the people who uh, media outlets think deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's going to uh, rich hospitals. It's going to rich insurance companies. That's perfectly fine. That kind of inflation, no mm-hmm. problem. But uh, you know this. Mm-hmm. The rest of the inflation that, that really hurts them, like that's that's a big deal. But no, that's exactly the right question to ask, and I'm I'm glad that person pointed that out. And uh, you know, I mean, the corporate media, generally speaking, is not like on a hair trigger alert. Like, oh my God, things have gotten worse for mm-hmm. regular working people. Like that's not something that they devote all their resources to. Uh-huh. Even though that that of course that happens all the time on all kinds of different issues. But it's this particular issue that really hits the people at the top, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in their enormous pocketbooks. Like, that gets them very exercised. Yeah, it sure does. And you argue uh, in your piece, and I will link to it again with the headline, Inflation is Good for You. You argue that uh, this inflation panic is actually about American creditors who are hoping to create an economy with higher unemployment and lower growth and more frightened workers. Is that strategy working, and how can we, the people, counter any of this? Well, it remains to be seen whether it's working. It does seem to be getting a lot of traction. I mean, Joe Manchin is a sign of that. Like, this is a, as yeah. I say, like a wonderful chance for him to be like, oh, God, you know, oh, man, did I want to pass this bill? But what a shame. Darn mm. it. <laughs> it yeah. just would be too bad for regular people. I don't want to hurt them, which is, of course, the core of Joe Manchin's life mission. He never yeah. wants to hurt regular people. So I, it is getting some traction, I'm sorry to say. I think the, the best and most important thing people can really do on this subject is educate themselves. In the short term, just understand this is the agenda about the inflation panic. That's number one. In the long term, like this really is important stuff, like what the Federal Reserve does, uh, how employment and uninfla- inflation work together. This is something that, that should be basic knowledge that everybody should be taught in school. We're not, but we can educate ourselves. And I would recommend to anybody who's interested in this, there's a fantastic book written about the Federal Reserve called Secrets of the Temple hmm. by the journalist William Greider, who just died a little over a year ago. And this is pretty old at this point. It's about 30 years old, but it still tells you everything you need to know and about like why this is such an obsession of elites, why inflation is this thing that they think about constantly and Mm. are always trying to exterminate. And, of course, the irony here is that because Americans are not very well educated on on this, Republicans can uh, scoop in, Joe Manchin can scoop in and use this media panic that the media seems to be playing along with to stop some very you know, popular expansions in the Build Back Better bill for education, health care, elder care, child care, you know, action on climate change, all things that would actually make life better for working people. And as the consensus of economic experts all seem to be arguing, 
will not actually increase inflation and arguably may even reduce it in reality by expanding the economy and creating more demand for workers along with it. And it's it's maddening when we're seeing arguments, even from our mainstream corporate media, that seem to be counter to the truth, counter to the facts. But I guess it's easy to get away with if you have, a, you know, an uneducated populace or an uninformed populace. All right, John, <laughs> thank you for this piece. It certainly got me thinking, and I hope it gets others uh, thinking as well. I'll point folks over to your good work over there at The Intercept. John Schwartz, longtime writer at The Intercept, and, uh, well, frankly, a writer everywhere else. Good talking with you, John. Anything else we need to add here today? I, I would just say this. Like, what I have seen in my life suggests to me that pretty much everything in the media is a rock and weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Meaning that, like, when they're totally sure about something, the truth is almost surely the exact opposite. <laughs> yep, you're absolutely right. And I guess that's why we need you and The Intercept and, and of course, the work we do here. Uh, hey, thanks, John. Great talking to you, my friend. Uh, you can find John over at TheIntercept.com. And just on the Twitters, I think, just Schwartz. That's you, right? That is me. I have I seized the entire name Schwartz. Although without a T, so S E H W A R Z. I'd love to see people there. Well done, sir. Uh, we'll see you there. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Okay, quick break, uh, and we're back. If we have time, do we have time? I think, I think we have so. time uh, for just a a little bit more myth busting, maybe sort of, <laughs> kinda. Uh, this time from Bernie Sanders. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. We'll be back soon. Hey, welcome back. It's the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So spending billions to help working class Americans after they've received pretty much zero help from the government for the past 40 years or so. Of course, that's just a crazy idea, especially because, you know, inflation for some reason. (laughs) Uh, But you will recall, before citing inflation fears uh, that would actually be helped by the passage of Build Back Better, Joe Manchin and the Republicans were pretending that the U.S. simply could not afford such a large social spending and climate change package, even though that package is fully paid for by tax increases on wealthy people, you know, like Joe Manchin. And corporations, you know, like Joe Manchin's family coal business. Meanwhile, Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and a bunch of Republicans, they had no problem agreeing to a $1.2 trillion roads and bridges infrastructure bill, even though it was not fully paid for and would require hundreds of billions in deficit spending over the next five years. And when it comes to defense spending... Well, when was the last time you ever heard any of them complain that we simply can't afford that? No matter how many tens and hundreds of billions it increases year after year after year, no matter how many wars we actually pull out of. 
The latest NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, is now coming up once again, and good old Bernie Sanders had a few thoughts about it yesterday that you may or may not have seen because unlike inflation fears and deficit spending fears on everything else, Sanders' concerns probably won't lead any national news broadcast this week. Well, I wanted to tell you briefly why I'm voting against the defense bill, which is $778 billion. Uh, I find it very strange that many of my colleagues are very worried about the deficit in the national debt when it comes to the needs of working families, the children, the elderly, uh, the sick, the poor. Oh my God, we can't afford to do anything. Deficit is so big, national debt is so big. But wait a minute. When it comes to the military industrial complex and the defense bill, 778 billion for one year, and that is 35 billion more than Trump's last budget, 25 billion more than President Biden wanted. Well, that's okay. We'll pass that. Don't worry about the deficit defense bill. Then on top of that, what is likely to happen is they're going to attach another piece of legislation called the Competitive Act. And that is 250 billion. And in the midst of that, there is $52 billion, $52 billion going to a small number of microchip companies. Now, I think we do have a microchip crisis in this country. Very important. We're going to produce them in America. But you just don't hand out corporate welfare to a handful of very profitable companies. You make sure there are some strings attached so the taxpayers don't get ripped off. And oh, yeah, I forgot. Also attached to this bill is $10 billion going to our good friend Jeff Bezos to help him get to the moon. So there you have a bill loaded with corporate welfare, significantly adding to our deficit, very little discussion about it, especially from the so-called deficit books. Yeah, yeah, no problem with that. Spend as much money as you want on defense, as much money as they're talking about, pretty much spending over 10 years uh, for the other bill. They'll spend that much in one single year on defense. God forbid. Nobody ever complains it's deficit spending. Nobody ever complains it's going to cause inflation. Anyway, got to get out. My thanks to our guest today, The Intercept's John Schwartz, to my producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. All of this made possible by those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 